Imagine a world where men stepped up and answered God's call to reach their full potential. Imagine a world where men put their faith and trust in God unwaveringly and without qualification. Imagine a world where men lived out God's purpose for them in everything they do. It's not my credit to take explores the awe and wonder of how God shows up in the lives of strong, principled Christian men from all walks of life. Get ready to laugh, to cry, and to be transformed. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Slover, faithful husband, loving father, loyal friend, and unapologetically Christian. Welcome to the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. Big Red. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm great, man. Thank you so much for taking time to have this conversation. My guest today is Dominic Magaminius. I struggle with that every time I try to say it, Dom. Uh, I first met Dominic, aka Big Red, when he was a student in my introduction to marketing class at Grand Canyon University. We've both since moved on from GCU, with Dom graduating in April 2022, having earned a bachelor's, bachelor's degree in business administration and management. When he was in my class, we connected right away because of our mutual passion for health and fitness, and Dom has since transitioned into that world full-time. Today, he's the general manager of Stretch Lab, where he's responsible for strategic planning, marketing, driving revenue, operations, and team member training and development. In short, Dom does it all. And prior to this role, he was the director of sales for LA Fitness, assistant manager for EOS Fitness, and even owned his own business called Red Fit Services. He's also participated in volunteer activities, helping organizations like Shooting Stars and Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Dom's a high energy guy that loves the Lord and loves his country. Dom, thank you for being on the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. Of course, it's an honor to be on. It's great to see you. It's been it's been a minute. I, I was thinking about th this conversation. Like, gosh, when was the last time we saw one another? It has to be going on five years or so by now, right? Maybe six. Yeah, it's been a while, but I feel like time is just an object. You know, when you get to know someone on a deeper level. Yeah, and I I remember around the twenty twenty uh, election and the the steal that that was, however politically incorrect that is, you and yeah. I were uh, texting back and forth, just completely appalled. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, I was never into politics before the 2020 election and something funky happened. And I was like, what happened here? I'm going to figure it out. And that just led me down the rabbit hole and also brought me, you know, closer in my faith as well. The more I did that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you and I, you and I are really on parallel paths when it comes to that is I had only voted one other time in my life, and that was back in 2000, which was that just weird situation with George W. Bush and Al Gore and the hanging Chad controversy in the ballots in Florida. Hmm. And it, you know, I must have been asleep during my high school history class because it was during the aftermath of that election that I realized or that I learned more pointedly, is that we don't live in a democracy. We live in a constitutional republic. Correct. We vote in the people that vote in our, our leaders, ultimately. Yes. And it, it's too bad that the two elections that I voted in, there were shenanigans. Yeah. It's, but it's important to highlight the deficiencies in our society because, you know, we live in a world that's not governed by God. You know, so in our constitution, it, it, it tells us when 
you know, the government becomes tyrannical, it's, it becomes our duty to then fight back and to overthrow that tyrannical government. So there's nothing unbiblical about that if you try to tie the two together. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a firm believer. I'd love your take on this. I, I'm a firm believer that our founding documents were absolutely inspired by God. What, what's your sense of that? Yeah, 100%. I believe, you know, our founding fathers were all men of God. And I believe that in the Bible, God talks about, you know, yes, respecting your rulers and authority, but also if they're not abiding by the law of God and the promises, you know, and articulations that he gave to us, that it becomes then our onus to fight tyranny and to be able to fight demonic forces and people that assume those leadership roles. I, I was telling someone the other day, can you imagine if in every single office in our country, from local to state to Congress, those people were Bible reading, God fearing people? Can you imagine the difference in our world, in our country, how it's governed and how we operate if that were the case? I can't, I can't even imagine how much less corruption there would be if they were all Bible reading, God fearing folks. I mean, let's just stay here for a second now that we're kind of on, on the political topic. Because I know both you and I are passionate about this. One of the things that I, I find really interesting is, is watching the, the corruption being unveiled with uh, who I call the resident, uh, Joe Biden and his, mm -hmm. and his son, and seeing the corruption. And immediately when the next news story comes out, mm -hmm. President Trump is immediately indicted. It's almost as if mm -hmm. the the left today views the rest of us as knuckle dragging Neanderthals that can't see through the veil of, uh, you know, of, of these political games. What's your general impression? I was just at my barber shop. She's a never Trumper. And I tried oh, no. talking to her about, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the Hunter Biden and the Joe Biden bribery scandal. And she's like, I haven't heard about it. And I was like, you know why? Cause they're not telling you it on the news. Yeah. They're Trump, Trump, Trump. As soon as something happens to the Bidens, they indict Trump. So the fallacy of our society right now is that they're so hyper focused and polarized on one man that they're actually forgetting the people that are actually corrupt, actually demonic and actually, you know, actively selling out our country. So to me, it's all about the propaganda. It's all about, you know, the news cycle, the narratives that they're putting out, because if they're in control of information, it's very hard for us to actually fight the system, you know, people call Trump supporters and Republicans the Nazis, but they're the ones that are censoring speech and telling us, if you don't believe the way we do, you're canceled, you're silenced, you can't participate in society. So tell me why that hypocrisy is so relevant right now. Yeah, it's a great point. And we, we also see that with with things that are as at least as equally consequential, probably more consequential you know, the sound of freedom just cracked $150 million at the box office, which at, at the time of this recording, which was 10 times what the budget was. And what's fascinating about that is it was only aired in half the theaters. Mm -hmm. Filming ended in 2018. It took that long for their, a studio like Angel mm -hmm. Studios to actually you know, get this thing to the you know, release to the public. And yes. yet there is a there's a seg of our society, namely the political left that is, for lack of a better way to say it, Big Red, poo-pooing the validity of, of the problem. 
Yes. Uh, what, what's been your impression of, of having watched this unfold? It's not only that, Ed. It's the lukewarm Christians. It's the pastors. It's the churches. I just had a conversation with one of my pastors at a church that I serve at about leadership opportunities. And all he wanted to talk about was my posting about Trump and political beliefs and sound of freedom. Wow. I can tell you this, it's not a conspiracy theory. My girlfriend almost got kidnapped and abducted just recently on a run. So you can't tell me to my face that that is not real. When it's prevalent, it's happening every single day. And just because we're in a safe city or a safe country does not mean it doesn't happen. So that's you know the biggest industry in the world right now is child trafficking and sex trafficking. People want to talk about slavery and reparations, but we're all slaves either to the government or our kids to these cartels and to these organizations. It's more profitable than guns. It's more profitable than war. It's more profitable than you know drugs or any other industry. And it needs to be highlighted. And we as God-fearing people, God asks us to actually highlight everything. He says nothing you know, that is dark will be, will not be com come to light, right? So everything that is hidden must be revealed. So we're able to really root out that corruption. And as faith-based people being able to make tangible actions to combat it. So what, why do you think that, namely the church, why do you think that leaders in our country so church leaders government officials even even heads of business why do you think that they they're you know the people that are bible reading god-fearing folks why do you think they they take a stronger stand on on some of these issues beyond the fact that that you know some of them are are just ignorant to the level of corruption but those that aren't why don't you think they're more vocal and more courageous in their stance? It's one of two things. I don't think it's ignorance. I think that they're either complicit or they're fearful of consequences. Like even my parents, I love them to death. They're conservatives. They're, you know, uh, faith-based people, but they still haven't seen the movie and they've had multiple opportunities. I even bought them tickets. I was like, you say what I'm saying is conspiracy and false. Go see this movie, please. It'll rock you. My girlfriend's liberal. I'm conservative. She saw the movie and she came out with a fire under her ass. She's like, we need to do something about this. So I think part of it is the money. I always say follow the money, right? And you'll never go wrong. But also it's the fear of cancel culture, right? If they're not, if, especially Hollywood. Hollywood's on strike right now. Where is all their videos saying we're against child trafficking? Here's an organization to donate to. Where are all these people? Well, guess what? They're all probably part of it or pedophiles. And that's part of the problem. That's a pretty controversial statement, Big Red. I mean, you and I are on the same page with that, but that's a fairly controversial st statement and or accusation to make. You know, while I share in, in you know in that general sentiment, and and Mel Gibson is on record as you know echoing exactly what you just said. In fact, I think he's coming out with a four part documentary to expose yes. this. It's just like, well, what what can we do? do about it i mean legitimately and i'm just playing devil's advocate on this one yes. what could, what can we legitimately do when the the folks that don't want this information to come out are in in, in have the bullhorn known as the mainstream media have a you know an, a fbi and department of justice that has mm -hmm. been weaponized against us so it really it serves as a disincentive for us to do anything about it 
and you know, we, we don't even need to bring in censorship and 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 everything yeah. else beyond vote what recourse do we really have i think it is difficult because you know we even tried to vote with our votes in 2020 and you know a lot of people 60 percent of america believes that that 2020 election results were not valid and that's a, a poll that just came out recently and when we try to protest it you know no matter what you think happened there was some shenanigans going on some people got caught up in the violence some people were infiltrating the crowd to make it more of a scene than it was but we tried protesting the election and then they're jailing these people indefinitely without due process and fair trials so it is difficult if we're not able to vote if we're not able to protest what recourse do we have and i can say this exposure is the first one right so that movie is the first thing that's come out that's really been in our face where we can actually go and see it tangibly not on the dark web or anywhere that's not visible for people Right. And they tried to censor this movie for years and years and years. It was made like six years ago. So when I say that statement, it's not to arouse negative emotions, but you have people in Hollywood saying, look what my peers are doing. And if I speak out, I will be killed or something's going to happen to me. The boldness of them to go against the legions that they're that um, are amongst them is super, super key. Here's another thing I'll say when it comes to recourse, I believe in my heart and this is just my theory is that the military is the only way because they're the only organization that is not corrupt. They're the only organization that signed a pledge to the constitution and to uphold their oaths. So my belief is that they actually asked Trump to run, to do a sting operation, to be able to catch all these people in the act. I believe Trump lost that election on purpose so he can have these people running, running, running. That's why they're indicting him so much. So we can't trust that FBI. We can't trust the DOJ. We can't trust the executive branch, Supreme Court, Congress, any of those players, because 90% are corrupt when you really go into it. So my belief and my hope is that there's one organization that is through man, right? Because God's the only one that can administer justice, that can really bring this to a head and hold people accountable for not just treason, but crimes against humanity with the children. Yeah, and, and you know what you know what people would say about everything you just said is that, oh, Big Red is a QAnon conspiracy theorist. You know, you know, tr Trump has been anointed by God to you know save the you know the children worldwide. Going to you know bring the military in to ultimately um, uh, you know adjudicate you know the the these individuals that are guilty of treason against the country, and you know the list goes on and on. Mm -hmm. how, I mean, how, how would you? How would you even think about defending yourself from an, an accusation? Because on its face, it seems somewhat fantastical in, in, you know, based on what you, you just described. So I can say this. QAnon is not a thing. So they say this in the media. There's Q and then there's Anon. So Q is the source that disseminates the information through the boards that we look at. And then we take that information and we go and research and then Anons are the people that do the research. So, mm -hmm. you know, not the public influencers that you see on Twitter or on Instagram or on the fake news, as Trump so lovely, lovingly calls it, but the people that are in the shadows, in the background. When Trump talks to us in, in his rallies and in his speeches, he speaks in code. So another big thing about faith and with politics is that everything is kind of a secret language, almost like speaking in tongues, how they talk about that in the Bible. It's a language with God. There's a language with Anans where 
you know, there's new numerology where we're looking at numbers, we're looking at sequences, we're looking at things that are deeper than just the words that people are saying to us. So when I say that, you know, there's a plan in action, why would they, the deep state, the bad guys want to intentionally wake people up against the propaganda and matrix that they have us in? When people say that it's a psyop to brainwash us even more, why would they want us to think for ourselves and to break that programming? That's how I always say it. And you know what? If fraud is real and elections are fake, how did Trump win in the first place? There had to have been some bigger force behind him that tainted the cheating. They did not think Hillary Clinton would lose. They were shocked. And for the past eight years, they've been doing everything they can to destroy this man. I just had this conversation with my pastor. Trump is a broken man, but guess what? God has always used broken people to advance his kingdom from a murderer, from an adulterer, from people that persecuted Christians and killed Christians. You can read about it all throughout the Bible. And what is Trump? Okay, he has a potty mouth and he's an, you know, a womanizer. Okay, I'd rather take that compared to a murderer. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that because you know this. It's not my credit to take has become a ministry, and when when that started really taking root in me, I'm thinking, no, 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 I'm not that guy. I'm and and yet, to your point, you reference you know, the the different individuals that God ended up sort of setting aside to advance his kingdom. It's like, oh, well, maybe I'm actually right in, in line with that group. You, yeah. you've, you've referenced your faith and you've referenced God. And for as long as I've known you, you, you've had a deep love for God. Where did that come from? And so maybe, maybe tell us a little bit about your background. Talk about how you came to know Jesus and you know, from your childhood up till now. Yeah, so I like to think that I grew up, you know, pretty pretty well, good parents, good household, you know, going to church and everything. Um, but I believe, you know, everything when it comes to faith and God really comes down to, you know, our worldly turmoil and our worldly trauma, you know, addictions, everything that we go through that mold us and to bring us to faith because I don't believe anyone's just born, you know, like super in love with faith, super in love with God. That's the way God created us to be, of course, but sin kind of tainted that. So with free will comes freedom to be bad or freedom to be good. Um, but kind of my story is, you know, I grew up, I was bullied a lot for being a ginger, for being skinny, for being all these things. Um, and it led me to a lot of bad choices. It led me down, you know, a road where I was smoking a lot, drinking a lot, sleeping around a lot, doing a lot of negative things. But it's ironic because I didn't know where I was going in life. And God brought me to a private Christian school. I came to GCU. I was in the dorm. I actually got raided by the campus security and I almost got kicked out of college because I had some you know, negative stuff in my room. But if, I feel like if I hadn't have gone to somewhere that had that structure and that basis to keep me in line, I would have fallen off even farther on the deeper end. Imagine if I went to an ASU, like a frat house or something like that. So I feel like God articulates our steps, even if we don't realize it at the time. So like I was always, you know, trying to prove myself to other people, always, you know, consuming things because I didn't feel good about myself. I had to, you know, figure out who I was and ask God for healing, ask God for surrender, ask God for transformation. All these things are our testimony, right? So I don't believe that anyone's too far gone. Anyone's broken. I think that he uses, you know, our, what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it for good. So, you know, there was a long time I was like, what am I supposed to be doing with life? He brought me to fitness. 
okay, I'm, you know, experiencing a hiccup. He turns it around. It looks negative at first, but when we go through something that we don't understand, we have to recognize that God has already overcome. He's already won. He brought me to a space where I was delivering groceries for a living to take care of my girlfriend in our apartment. And I was like, God, this is not it. I can't do this anymore. And he took that away from me. And I was like, man, why'd you take it? And then very quickly after that, I got this you know, general manager role with the opportunity to lead a team, cultivate a culture, you know, build the business as a whole. And it's so funny because one of my biggest fears was um, public speech and I had stage fright. So I'm like, how in the world am I going to lead a team of 10 to 12 if I can't talk, if I get that heartbeat, if I get that anxiety? The more you do it, the more fear goes away. Fear is not a feeling from God, it's from the enemy. So anything that's holding us back from our divine purpose, it's our duty to be able to combat that, to armor ourselves with the full armor of God and to go to war against it. So I've always been that way of like addiction, let's let's crush it. Adversity, let's overcome it. Business challenges, let's figure it out. There's five ways we can figure this out. So I think that's just my mindset shift is when you're so rooted in your faith, no weapon formed against you can prosper because you're so solid in God's promises that he is faithful. He is worthy. He will overcome. He is loving. So that's always what I remind myself of. And everything I've been through is it's not necessarily defeating me. It's distracting me. If the enemy can't defeat you, they want to distract you. So was it a situation when you got to Grand Canyon that after you got caught that it reinvigorated your faith or, or was it a situation where that was when you finally, you know, it came to Christ at what point, at what point did you come to know Jesus? I would say, so freshman year, I lived on campus in the dorms and I was filled with sin, you know, staying up late, missing class, partying, doing all the things. But then I met my best friend through college. His name was Bryce. And we ended up getting an apartment the second year. So I was like, there's no way I could stay on this campus and, you know, do the lifestyle I'm doing. So I think it was the initiation. It wasn't the come to God moment. I think the come to God moment was when I got rooted with a best friend that was also very faithful and very devoted to his faith. When I came into that more positive environment, then I was more inclined to be able to root out the sin, root out the addictions. And once I moved back from Arizona to California, I feel like that's when I fully surrendered everything to God. I got re-baptized at uh, 22. I went to this church called Awaken that's very conservative-based. You know, all the things we just talked about um, aligned my politics with my faith and just, you know, being able to surrender everything that I had gone through in college and before that and just forgive all the people that hurt me or left me. And then coming into, you know, a godly relationship, I never thought I would get to that point. I thought I was always just going to sleep around and never be in a relationship, never get into a marriage and have a family. Cause I thought I wasn't good enough. I thought that I was getting bad karma in a sense. So I think the come to God moment for me was when I experienced true love for the first time, I'm like, wow, this person loves me no matter what, no matter my brokenness, no matter how jacked up I am, the mistakes that I've made and to have that humility for someone else is life changing. Do you ascribe to the idea that we can't, fully accept someone else until we accept ourselves or we can't love someone maturely until we love ourselves. Mm -hmm. And if so, 
how was your how how was your girlfriend able to 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 show you that uh, or it really serve as a model for you in many ways to say you know what she accepted you all of the bumps bruises you know cuts along the way she accepted you and it occurs to me that she is she wouldn't be able to do that if she hadn't already accepted herself what's your general take on that I think it's twofolded I think yes I think you know, you need to fully love yourselves to, to love others in that full capacity. But she also came from a very abusive household. So I know it's hard to compare trauma. But when I talk about my issues, you know, hers were 10 times that. And, you know, a lot of, you know, abusive relationships when it came to family and to, you know, uh, partners and things of that nature. So for her, it was like she was giving more than she has herself. So she loves self selflessly because she was only ever shown, you know, hate and despicable acts and you know using her and things of that nature so to to me it's like i think you can love someone else but then there's work that needs to be done internally you know so there's some therapy that she had to go through she got baptized she's been growing in her faith so it's like yes it's okay to love someone but you can't leave yourself depleted you can't truly love in the capacity that god meant for us until you can accept and love yourself i do believe in that one thing I've been working through the past few months is this idea that we're taught that God's out there. And make no mistake, the creator of the universe is, in fact, out there. But what occurs to me is that if God wasn't inside of us, there's really no point to, for the Holy Spirit to even be a thing. And so it's not a mutually exclusive God's either out there or he's not, or he's inside of us or he's not. It's just like, it's, it's a both and conversation. And in thinking about that, like, well, why is it that whenever we're dealing with trying to reconcile past pain or trauma, that we look externally to, to things that try to, to try to fix it. And we end up playing this game over and over and over again. And it never seems to do a, really a heck of a lot of good, even though we know our environment influences us. But why is it, Dominic, that you, you think that we, our default setting is to look outside of ourselves versus actually connect to the part of us, that which is God? I think it's part human nature i think it's part societal norms that you can be what you want to be you can you know um self-care has kind of been diluted into doing whatever is necessary to make yourself feel good i think that the god you know the god complex has also been depleted in the sense of you know religion and spirituality so it's kind of becoming like a checklist like you go to church you do your bible group you read the Bible, you pray like it's like this this order of things that you need to do instead of that actual relationship with God. I, I tell my girlfriend this all the time. I found more healing, more faith, more conversations with God on my ground in my apartment crying to God than I did in a church building. And mm -hmm. that's so important is really connecting with the source because you can get the source anywhere. You can get it from church. You can get it from people. You can get it from yourself, but really the only way to truly experience that love and sanctification of God is to spend time with him, to talk to him, to listen, to be still, 
she'll ask me all the time, like, why are you so calm? Or like, why are you so quiet? I'm like, I'm connecting. Like I need to, you need to be go, go, go for work. Right. But then there's a time where you need to bring all that, all your requests, all your laments, all your Thanksgivings to God to be able to recharge yourself. There's no other way. You're going to leave yourself depleted if you're running, 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 but you're not actually running to the source. Yeah. What I hear you describing is the fundamental difference between religion and spirituality where religion is provides a framework and structure. There's a lot of rules or policies or just ways of doing things that, uh, depending on the de- denomination, are either accepted or not. Mm-hmm. Versus spirituality is there's no guidebook. There's no rules to this mm-hmm. where y- you you may connect with with Holy Spirit on your knees in your apartment where I might connect with Holy Spirit through meditation mm-hmm. or taking a walk, you know, outside or something. Yeah. Do, knowing that, you know, the, the church is in the state that it's in where so much of it is, is justifying, you know, societal norms and, you know, different cultural dynamics. Where do you, where do you see, or how do you see church evolving? I mean, is it, is it, is it, uh, you know, a, an antiquated institution in the sense that it's been corrupted, much like you know our government. Mm-hmm. And then, if if that's the case, it's that seems like a non-starter. So where do we where do we go from there? Because historically, church worst case scenario has been a place for people that didn't have any structure to find some structure to get to know God. And then maybe once they were able to get on the other side of that, then they had that, they, they had that one-to-one relationship where it wasn't dogmatic. It wasn't, you know, tied to all of these different rules and, you know, the structure of it. So I'm, I'm, I'm babbling at this point. Mm-hmm. So let me check in with you and see what, what's your general impression of that? Yeah, well, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I did dive into like some of those new age spirituality things, not like crystals and all that, but like, you know, the horoscopes, the self-healing books and all of that. And I don't think that's what God provided or intended, but I do think there's an order to the universe and it's hard to like decipher like which religion is correct or which is right. And it's easy to like attack other religions and other churches and to compare, you know, comparison culture is one of the most toxic things going on right now. But I do think there's a balance between structure and personal relationship, right? I don't think we should be out there sinning, out there, you know, committing adultery, having multiple lives like they did in the Bible. Like just because people did things in Jesus's time does not make it okay and doesn't justify sin. So I think there is a balance that needs to be struck. And when it comes to your question about churches, I have a church that I go to on Sundays. One of my buddies uh, pastors it. He tells it like it is. He preaches the Bible. He's very, you know, nonpartisan, nonpolitical, which I appreciate because he's more focused on the kingdom than an agenda. And I think so many churches, even those bigger churches that for my area, for San Diego, you have North Coast, you have Rock Church, you have Awaken. They all pretty much swing one way or the other. And I do think there is some relevance to intertwining the two. But I was just telling my barber today, there's only one party that matters, and that's God's party. So we can, you know, we can whine about presidents and politicians and policies all day, but like that doesn't go with us to eternity. So, you know, we had a guest speaker at our church last week and he was very candid and he said, 
life sucks. Like I'm miserable, but you know what? I'm happy because I know where I'm going. Like I'm, I don't fear death because I'm at peace with where I'm going and the end result. And that's kind of how I feel too. Like I can go on a rampage against all the beliefs that I have and everything, but evil has existed from the beginning of time. It's just more prevalent now with technology. So at the end of the day, we can't control what church we go to. We can't control who's in charge of our country. We can't control, you know, the dynamics within our society, but we have the personal prerogative to impact the people around us, to be a disciple of other people, to using our voice for change and for good. So when people try to tell me, you know, wow, that's a bold statement or wow, you really shouldn't be talking about that or, you know, kind of trying to break the veil a little bit. I'm like, God puts different purposes in every person. My parents are fine with putting their, their heads in the sand and my girlfriend as well. But there's something in me that's a boldness without fear of consequences that enables me to be able to speak out on things that I believe align with God's purpose and calling. And maybe that's incorrect to other people or to biblical scholars, but we all have our, our own duties to advance the kingdom of God in whatever fashion that looks like. How do you, how do you go about doing that? Find it striking that balance between boldness without fear and not putting off or risking alienating others. And the reason I ask that is that one of the things that I have never been a fan of are the proverbial Bible-thumping Christians, where I would inquire, genuinely curious about learning you know, how they thought about it, what their belief system was, then they'd open the fire hose on me. I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. I didn't invite that. What I invited was you to answer my question, mm-hmm. hoping that your answer would, would be good enough, that I'd be curious enough to ask a follow-up question. So how do you balance that where you're, you've got this extraordinary, ex- extraordinary, extraordinarily, sorry, passionate view on, uh, on God and with not wanting to alienate someone where they just stop listening. I'll give you a relevant answer out of uh, full transparency. So my sister is transgender. My girlfriend's sister is transgender. And remember when that shooting happened, when the transgender went into a Christian school and shot up those yep. kids. So I had posted on social media, basically going on a little tangent, just reposting stuff, not even my own words, just saying like how, you know, the transgender movement has been radicalized. You know, we should condemn all forms of violence, of course, and everything like that. And uh, my girlfriend's sister went off on me saying I'm a bigot and I'm, you know, uh, anti-trans and all these things. And I was like, well, wait a minute, you go ahead and you condemn a straight white conservative male, if they shoot up a school, why don't you call a spade for a spade and call out your own people when they do the same action? And she didn't have any response for that. And instead she goes on to dox me, post me on her page and say, this guy should be fired from his job because he's a terrible person. And this is what he said. I'm like, go ahead and post it. I didn't say anything offensive. I was opening up a conversation, but when you, when you attack people with facts, they get emotional and they'll start attacking you. Trust me, I've had experience with this, with my sister being hard left and my girlfriend being hard left. I never thought I would date a liberal, but we're coming to like kind of a common, you know, understanding on things like pro-life, homosexuality, transgenders, all the issues that are going on. Because, yes, we can't tell people what to do or what to be, but we can point to scripture to be able to align it. Homosexuality is a sin just like sex before marriage is, you know, so all sin is the same. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a, it, it, it's certainly it it's certainly not a dull time to be alive. No doubt about no. it. No doubt about it. Uh, so let me ask you this: When you talk about God, what do you talk about? So I on my Instagram on my you know public platforms I do prayer videos and they actually went viral for a time. So I only have a thousand followers, but they were getting like ten thousand uh, clicks and like thousands of likes. So, you know, it, it irks me when people say, well, you're alienating people when I'm just trying to bring people to God. Like I'm spreading truth. I'm highlighting, you know, inadequacies in narratives and information. We're in an information war, not a physical war. Right. So pointing out those things, but then also spreading hope to people. So I pray for addiction. I pray for hope. I pray for strength. I pray for healing. I try to go like on like a little topic and then run with it each time. So I try to talk to God. I've also talked to God about um, to my workplace. Um, when I do my meetings, I actually told them my testimony, told them about my faith, told them about my conservative values. I'm not afraid of that. I'm. You can call me whatever you want, but you can't call me fake. So I think transparency is so important in showing people who you are and being able to develop an argument to your points, whether that's God or with politics or with business or anything along the lines. So I do be consistent, like no matter where I go, I'm the same person, whether I'm in church, in a private setting, at my business, I try to be the same no matter what. And currently I'm serving for both of my churches. So I do a prayer team for my young adults and then I do setup team and welcome team for that church I told you about on Sundays where they're very non-political and non-partisan. So to me, it's like, it's ironic because I was so scared of public speech and like social anxiety and all the things. And now God's placing me in positions where I need to overcome and combat those things to, you know, fulfill the purpose he instilled in me. That, that, that's the second time you've referenced not feeling comfortable speaking in public settings. Brother, I would not have guessed that at all. You do it, you, you do it quite well. Before we, we wrap up, one final question for you. And I've said this numerous times on this podcast is that in the fall of uh, 2022 at Grand Canyon, I had five, five male students come up and ask me separately, what does it mean to be a man? Mm. And as I've discussed, I'm like, that's alarming enough, but I was even more alarmed because these young men were born and raised in conservative Christian homes mm. and they don't know. So yeah. if, you ever got that question, what does it mean to be a man? How would you answer? I would say a man is a leader. So no matter what circumstances come our way, we're in charge of our, our wife, we're in charge of our family, we're in charge of our relationships, our business, um, our finances. I know God says to see all control of everything to him, but in, in a mortal sense, like I think a man is someone that takes control, takes responsibility, takes initiative. And also tries to abide, you know, to the guidelines and commands of God to the best of our abilities. So that's what I said, eradicating sin, you know, spending time in prayer, spending time in serving, being able to kind of be the head of the household, no matter what that is. No gender roles, whether it's making money, cleaning the house, doing the cooking. I think that it encompasses everything. As a man, we're the leaders where the woman is the nurturer. And that's what the Bible talks about, but it can definitely be flipped. You know, woman can be the leader and we could be the nurturer. So I think as a man, it's really that personal 
prerogative to be able to do everything A to Z. I do not want to have a weakness. I do not want to, you know, make excuses for myself or have regrets or shame. I think being a man is, you know, really just taking things into your own hands and also having repentance and correction if you do fall short and if you do mess up. I think that humility, leading from humility, accountability, and consistency is also very important when it comes to that. Yeah. Actually, one one f- final follow-up on that. How do you distinguish between vulnerability and weakness as a man? I think that vulnerability is tied to transparency, like I talked about. So being transparent with, you know, any sin, any fears, any anxiety, stress, doubts, things like that. But I think weakness would be more so kind of kowtowing to sin, letting it rule your life, letting it be an excuse, letting it rule your moods. Like my girlfriend always asks, like, why are you so calm? Why are you so happy? Why are you so confident? I'm like, you should have seen me five years ago. This takes work. Like you need to go through a process to heal yourself, to love yourself and to be a leader in the marketplace or in the church or in relationships. It's not something that comes overnight. You need to put in your dues. It's a two-way street between you and God as well. Yeah, that's very well said. Dominic, this has been great. Thank you so much for taking time to have this conversation. Before we wrap, would you mind closing us out in prayer? Of course. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for all of the listeners on this show to be able to impact their hearts and to have some convictions that maybe they did not have before. I ask for anyone that has confusion or questions with their faith, with what's going on in the world, with anything that is holding them back from being in alignment with you, to have that peace of mind, to have that clarity, to have that wisdom, to be able to come to you with their request, leave it at your feet at the altar, and to be able to clothe them with your holiness, to sanctify them and to heal them from anything that has been hurting them, has been bugging them, has been traumatizing them. And I just ask that you continue to use Ed in the capacity that he's doing to be able to reach a wide demographic of people when it comes to faith and politics and business and to intertwine all of them in between and just to cover him um, with your guidance to be able to navigate his business ventures and the impact that he's having and to remember that leadership is a consequence of our humility. So be able to, to lead out of that you know, gratitude, that selflessness to serve others before ourselves and to just, you know, be a testimony to others with everything that we believe in, that we've been through and the leadership qualities and strategies that we want to help other people instill in their lives. I pray this all right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, brother. Thank you again. Big Red. It's been, it's, it's been great to chat with you. Uh, great to see you. Likewise. Uh, good luck with everything, and I, I know we'll stay in touch. You as well. God bless. God bless. You can contact the show at itsnotmycredittotake.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless.